Good morning, church. It's great being with you. Uh, today I have a pastoral word for, for you from Ephesians chapter 4. We're not in a series for this week or next week. Uh, we're just walking through a few relevant passages for the life of our church. Today we're talking about the church. We're talking about unity and diversity and maturity within the body of Christ. Um, heads up, also speaking of sermon series, I'm very excited to tell you that we're jumping into the book of Jonah in a few weeks. That's the next sermon series where we kind of get back into a book of the Bible. We've got some plans for the first of the year that I'm very excited about. But uh, you might ask why Jonah. The it, It's more than just a fish and a guy who ran away from God. There's social, cultural, theological, and kind of like gospel topics in that book that are really relevant for a time like ours. Uh, culturally and even in the life of our church. So just like very excited to get through, get to get into that book and to walk through it verse by verse um, before Advent and then even jumping into the first of the year. Got some great stuff coming up. Um, as you already read Ephesians chapter four, we're in verses one through 16 and we'll be jumping around this passage all of this morning talking about our relationship with the church and with one another, the institution of the church and with the family that is the church. Partially, I bring this passage to you, kind of submit it to you, because I think it's time for us to kind of hit the reset button on a few areas of our lives, specifically our relationship with the church. You know, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1985. And, uh, you know, what also came out in 1985 was Nintendo. And we had a Nintendo eventually as I grew up. And uh, on the front of the Nintendo was a button. It was the reset button. And if something was wrong with your cartridge that you put in when you played the video game, or if your character jumped up in the air and froze and something was wrong with the video game, you could always hit the reset button, go back to the start, and enjoy the game as well. And occasionally in our lives, it's important for us to hit that reset button. And in this instance, I'm talking about our relationship with the church, our commitment to being a part of the church, or even asking big questions like, why am I a part of a church? What should the church be doing when we gather together? You know, today is the first Sunday where we're having live services and then we're doing kind of an official launch in uh, early October for our outside services. Like just thinking through what is my purpose in showing up to this event every Sunday? Why do we sing? Why do we pray together? What benefit does it have for my life, for the rest of the church, through the church, the world? It's time to ask those big questions and COVID stuff has actually kind of helped us in that area to clean the slate, to hit the reset button, to start over again in a sense with our commitment to do, living a biblical lifestyle together as a church body. I want to start out our sermon by talking about verse 1. If you read it, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, I urge you, Christians, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like. Verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Notice in that verse, uh, the salvation that we have in Jesus is a free gift. And, and Paul sums it up in that word calling. That's the calling we've received is the salvation we have in Jesus. And we've received that. That's a passive word, meaning Jesus came to us. The salvation we have in Jesus comes to us. It's not from our righteousness, from our earning, from our good doing. It comes to us passively. That's the good news of the gospel is that it's not earned. It's not achieved. It's received. That's what makes it a sweet gift of grace that we're saved in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, that thing just came to you because of God's grace. But now, live up to the calling that you've been given. Live in light of it. Think about how big it is, how marvelous it is, what God is like, and now live your life with the priorities, the actions, and the, the community of this 
larger calling that you have in Jesus. I heard Richard Mao, the old president of Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, tell us uh, this illustration to a bunch of business owners once. And he just made the point that when a president is elected, like is the case with our election season now, uh, presidents are elected for a purpose. Like if a president won the presidency and in their acceptance speech, he or she said, thank you so much for voting for me. I appreciate the support. And it just really moves me that you elected me as president. That would make sense for the first speech. But after the first 100 days of a presidency, if that person just jumped back on stage and said, you guys, you don't understand how meaningful this is to me that I'm president. I got a nice house. It, I feel better about my self-esteem. Uh, it's made me happier as I wake up in the morning. You would think, well, that's, that's great. But like, what are you doing as president? And after four years, if that person said, you know, I actually wrote a bunch of songs with my acoustic guitar about how meaningful it is that I'm called or that I'm elected. Um, you would think, you know what? We, we elected you for a reason. You're supposed to get to work as the president. It's just an illustration to say, um, it is awesome that we're called in Jesus, and yet there is a trajectory and a purpose and an action behind living up to that calling. We are elected for a purpose, called to a certain lifestyle of honoring and glorifying God together in this passage's instance as a church. Here's the, here's the big idea. Unity and diversity unto maturity in the church. That's our topic. Uh, to the extent that we live by this free calling that we've received in Jesus, that we've received together, to the extent that we live up to that, and in light of that, we will always have, as a church, unity, diversity, leading to maturity. And we'll talk about those three things. If you look at verse 3, you'll see Paul kind of urging us to, to be one, to be unified, unity within the church. Paul, in fact, mentioned, he says the word one seven times in verses three to six, and he uses other words like unity and bond. Let's read it again. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's over all, through all, and in all. We are to be one. The church is to be one. It's supposed to be unified in this larger family sense it's one body. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul goes on to describe that we are a body. And just like the metaphor goes, we have ligaments and bones and muscle that are tied together in a body. And in the same way, we are supposed to function together as one. But don't forget this. It's not just that the church should function like a body. The church is the body of Christ. It's, in a sense, a manifestation of God's work in the material world on earth. Uh, empowered through the Holy Spirit, that's our function as the body of Christ with a physical representation of the Spirit's work collectively working together as Jesus in the world. So we are to be one. That's the metaphor, the body of Christ. And look at all the things that he lists for one spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, as one. We're one spirit. What that means is like, if God is working in you, Christian, uh, that kind of work is going to be in line with Scripture. It's going to be in line with how Scripture has worked in the past of, of Jesus' teachings and nothing that's totally divergent and off and new. So for those of us who have the inclination to say, I've got my own truth, I've got my own relationship with God, I've got my own spirit, and God kind of talks to me, if it's not in line with Scripture, if it's not in line with the way God has revealed himself in the Word and worked 
in the world, then it, chances are we're talking about you working in your own life and not the spirit. There's one spirit. That spirit shows us, I'm thinking here of John 14, 16, Jesus says that the spirit shows us Jesus' teaching and reminds us of Jesus, empowers us to glorify and worship God. The spirit is always pressing us, in a sense, into the Father and into the Son. In the same way that Jesus' teaching always pushed us to love and glorify the Father and to live with the Spirit. That's one Spirit that holds us together. And that Spirit is teaching us a consistent truth about God's Word and the Gospel. One Spirit. There's one hope. Um, We push each other through advice and exhortation and small groups and one-on-one coffees and public worship and opening the Bible together when we're uh, a church. We are constantly pushing and reminding each other of the one hope that we have in the future. Sometimes when you go through tough times, your friends might give you advice to say, you know what, like go work out a lot. Just go pump some iron or get your cardio in. And like, if you just work hard enough, the fact that your boyfriend broke up with you will just kind of melt away. Like just go do something and get busy or other advice. You know, if you're frustrated about your marriage, just go pour yourself into your work and you'll feel a lot better. We have one hope as a church. And so even if working out does help you, which there's some times where it really does, or maybe distracting yourself for a time can be helpful. In the end, as a church, we have one hope. We have one future that is secure for us because of what God has done for us. That's heaven. That's a a redeemed world in Christ's return. That's a, a, a heaven where we rule and reign with Jesus for all of eternity. And that gives us meaning and it allows us to use the skills and the culture that we participated in to contribute to heaven for the rest of eternity. Like that's some quick theology about heaven, but like we push each other to a, a, a one singular future hope that we have in Jesus. Not everyone has their own way to think positive and just think about the way that you have your own hope or can muster up hope in yourself. The church has one hope. Uh, we have one initiation into the family of God, meaning we have baptism. Baptism is a ceremony that the church has done for years and years and years. It it, it symbolizes the death of your old life, the raising up to a new life. And in a sense, Paul's saying, remember, you had this ceremony that, that raised someone up from water into the family of God. Uh, and if you have division in your church or disagreement in your church or somebody's got a sin issue that you got to deal with in the family of God, Paul's saying, remember, you baptized that person. You grabbed them by their back and their arm and you slammed them into the water. You brought them back. We all applauded. You gave them a wet hug and you all committed to being in a family together. They are a believer just like you when you were baptized. We have one baptism. There's not different levels of Christianity. There's not different, I was baptized 60 years ago, and you've just been baptized a month ago. Like, we're all even sinners who need Jesus. You're all baptized. You have one baptism as an initiation into the family of God. Paul sings one baptism. And one God, above all, that we all submit to. There's not some church members where they say, well, uh, I don't really like this teaching from the Bible, so I'm not really like a... I'm not really like that kind of person. I don't really want to obey God in that particular area. Or I like some of this positive stuff that the Bible says, and I I kind of don't really want to be a part of this thing. So can't we just kind of like all agree to disagree on what the Bible says? You know, it's like we all submit to God. Once we call ourselves Christians, we're saying, God, you are the Lord of my life. You're the Savior. My job's not the Savior. Sex isn't the Savior. Money isn't the Savior. You're the Savior, the only one who can save me. 
And as a part of this church, we are all saying we are sinners who submit to God. He is above all of us, working through us and in us. And so there's not divergent, different people that are saying, I'm, a, I'm this kind of Christian, I'm that kind of Christian, and we all just kind of hang out on Sunday. We all submit to God's word. We submit to his will for our lives. That's what it's like to be a part of the church. And in that, Paul is saying there's a unity of a bunch of people who are saying, I'm messed up, I'm sinful, I'm flawed, I don't have my act together, and yet we are one. I've got weaknesses, other people have strengths, we are one, leveled at the foot of the cross as sinners who are also, by God's grace, saints. I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, a few years ago, I watched a home video that had been transferred from reel to reel to DVD, and then we popped the DVD in our living room, this was on Easter, and it was a video of an Easter when I was, I think we watched it five, ten years ago, and it was an Easter from when I was about five years old, which means my sister would have been seven, and my brother would have been nine. I have two older siblings. And it was just so funny to see the way we interacted together. And the video was from my grandma's house, uh, whose house we went to every Easter to do Easter egg hunts. And my grandma would hide the eggs. And then my grandpa would have the camcorder or like the, the, the reel-to-reel, whatever it was, recording us. And then we would run around and find the eggs. And it was so typical to watch that old family video because my brother uh, was looking around kind of intently at the yard, trying to figure out where the eggs were ahead of when he was allowed to go find them. And then he said, you know, I'm going to grab a piece of paper and I'm going to chart out the backyard into like sectors and grids. And then uh, when I find an egg, I'm going to mark it because chances are grandma's going to hide the eggs in the same spot next year. And then I'll find all the eggs next year once I graph all this stuff out. Anyways, my brother is a scientist. He studied astrophysics and we watched the DVD of him as a kid and you just go, oh yeah, he was just always like that, you know? And my sister now, she works with special ed kids. She's just so nice. She's just a nice person and very nurturing and just kind. And um, wouldn't you know it, on the home video, she's like skipping around in a dress, being nice to everyone, peacemaker, finding a few eggs, but just enjoying people's company. And then my, uh, my grandpa takes the camera and kind of pans over. And there I am just like dancing and trying to gain attention uh, because I just loved being on camera. So once I found out that my grandpa was using the camera, I would jump in front of it and I'd be like, grandpa, what's up? Here I am, you know, like just making noise. And then my grandpa would, uh, to get a nice home video, would have to pan away from me. And then you'd see me out of the corner, kind of run in front of the camera again. I'd be like, grandpa, I'm over here. And then my grandpa would avoid me and go over to filming the rest of the, uh, the family. Anyways, here's my point. Uh, when I think back on my upbringing with my two siblings, we are so completely different. Like even as adults now, totally different people. My brother's a scientist. Um, my, you know, my sister it has more of a nurturing, redeeming kind of like a vocation and lifestyle. I am in ministry. Uh, whatever it is, we're super different. But that doesn't change any of our relationships with my parents or specifically as the metaphor goes with our father. So all of us have a good relationship with, my, with our father. Like he is a good dad. He pays attention. He calls us. He's just a great, uh, great dad for all three of us. Very different people. And that is the same way with the church. All of us are different. We're not all the same. God has shaped us in different ways. And yet, even in our diversity, even in our difference, even in our cultural differences and our different stories that brought us to Jesus, we are equal before God. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven, saved, and though we're diverse, that doesn't change the fact that we have a relationship with God 
in the same way through Jesus Christ. Paul's saying that we're one because that thing ties us together. Sinners who are saved by God's grace. And the Bible, if we're trying to apply this, does not prescribe uniformity, though Paul is clearly fighting for unity. Don't mistake those two things. A lot of Christians do. They mistake unity within the church, oneness within the church, togetherness, submission to God's word, and, and be functioning as a part of the church, and then being uniform. So sometimes even Christians or people outside of the church, they fight for uniformity. Like you might go to some churches and you'd see that um, the way they talk, the way people, certain people are in influence, that if you vote a certain way, then you will be influential in our church. Or all the people of this church probably vote a certain way. And that's common with a lot of churches in Orange County. Like I get the idea that if there was a banner over the entrance of a few churches in Orange County that said like church for Republicans, uh, I'll bet their attendance would go up. I bet they would get more excited people who just tend toward that political persuasion. In our divided culture, sometimes the subtext of a certain few things that come out with church says church for Republicans. Or sometimes you hear people talk about really important issues like uh, racial reconciliation, social justice. And then the way that you hear them talk about those issues, uh, the way they're reasoning through those, even if they're talking about the Bible, you get the picture that actually what's informing those opinions is a secular view of social justice not a biblical view of godly justice. And, and that's a subtle thing, but sometimes you hear it long enough and you go, wait a minute, I think we're informed by something. I think we're communicating to people that if you really follow God, you'll do it this way. You'll vote this particular way. It can be subtle, but in the end, that is mistaking uniformity for unity. Voting is just one example. Um, decisions in response to COVID. Sometimes we think, oh man, uh, I wish the response from the church or my friends that are Christian or my brothers and sisters in Christ, I wish their decisions about COVID were X. But sometimes we don't just say, man, I think they're misunderstanding the statistics about COVID. We think they don't care enough about this particular issue or they are not, they don't care about this, this other side of the particular issue. To the extent that we start making character judgments on someone because of their understanding of epidemiology, we might be mistaking uniformity for unity. There is certainly a way, especially in Jesus giving each other grace and forgiveness, that we can make different calls in our personal lives about a global pandemic and still stay unified. And I, I, I pray that is the case with all of us. And one, I alluded to it, but one fantastic application for that would be to make sure that we don't make character judgments off the bat with someone who makes a different decision with their own personal life. I'll, I'll keep going. Uh, mistaking uniformity for unity. Uh, sometimes a church can just have people all dress the same. Whether it's formal or informal, you get the message that uh, don't wear a tie here because that's not what's normal here. That's uniformity. That's not unity. Uh, sometimes churches pray a certain way. And it's almost like if your prayer really counts, you're going to say like, uh, I used to go to a church that said a lot of, a lot of father gods. Like every time someone prayed, there was just like a Father God, you know, and that when you said Father God, it had to have a certain rasp to it to, to really let God know that you meant it, you know, like Father God, you know, and like there's just prayer habits and certain ways to sing and certain songs and different, different ways to raise your hand or something like that. Are you a two-hander? Are you a one-hander? Is it a, is it a step around and punch the air kind of church? Whatever, like different habits can kind of, if we all match each other too much, it doesn't have diversity. It starts to look more like uniformity than 
unity. And race and ethnicity, clearly a huge issue with Orange County, LA, and even in our church. Like we are trying to be a multi-ethnic church. And then we're, because of that, we're constantly fighting to give representation and leadership and love to the different types of people who are in our city or even already in our church. Like that, if, if the church is run by one type of perspective, one type of cultural background or one type of church background, that could be uniformity, but not real unity. Abarna and Exponential is an organization called Exponential, put out a poll a while back of churches, and they sought to find out if predominantly white churches that were in suburban areas outside of cities, if they had an issue with prejudice and bigotry. And so they polled people who went to those churches that were non-white. They polled and found out some information about all the people who were predominantly Anglo and because of the suburban thing, middle class and upper middle class. And what they found in this overarching uh, study was that these predominantly white churches were not overtly bigoted. They were not overtly prejudiced. In fact, when people attended or visited their predominantly white churches, they were more excited and more interested in including people uh, more than even the average church. They found that a lot of these middle-class, middle-class suburban white churches were ecstatic to see somebody of a different color and a different cultural background uh, to visit their church. And that was surprising because at the same time, there are so many just like uni mono ethnic churches, white and non-white. But what they found specifically about white churches was that while those people were very excited to include someone who was of a different ethnicity, they were very reluctant to change the way they worshiped, change who was in leadership, changed who was on the website so that it would communicate something different than just we are an upper middle class suburban white church who, who reaches suburban middle class uh, white people. What that means is they wanted uniformity, open to other people becoming uniform to their cultural norms. And yet we are not to live by that. This is a long point. I know I'm working through a few things here, but it's really important that we know the church is to be one, but not to be uniform necessarily. And I think this also serves an important point to those of you who might be scared to be a part of a church. Like you might think, um, I'm not sure if I can really buy into a church or really get committed because I'll lose my independence. And if we live out the unity thing, but not pressure each other to an unnecessary amount of uniformity, then it might cause you to take a breath and say, you know what? It is important for me to submit to an elder board, to give to the collective ministry of a church. It's important for me to, to receive teaching that I take to my heart and go, hey, if we're all following the Bible, let's do this together and, and not be so scared about losing your independence as though um, you're going to lose your joy, lose your freedom in your life. And by the way, there are very important things in life that come to you because of giving up some of your freedom. So I'm talking to you, independent people who are kind of content to stay at an arm's distance from Jesus or maybe even from the church or from people who might get to know you and disagree with a few little things and ruffle your feathers. Know that like marriage and music are two examples of losing your freedom, but opening you up to a greater joy. Uh, if you're a musician, you know that you have to exclude other plans to stay at home and practice. You have to give up your freedom of your schedule to, to learn your scales, to learn your music theory, to be awesome at an instrument. And yet the restricting of that part of your life frees you up to make beautiful music and you can't get good at music on that level 
if you don't give up the time and practice and learn. So there's a new freedom. There's a new independence to create something beautiful because of your lack of independence to, to an extent. And marriage. Marriage is basically intimacy through excluding other options, other people, and commitment. Like enough said, right? A good marriage means you exclude all other options because you're saying I'm committed to intimacy with this one person. And because of that, there's something beautiful that comes into your life because you lost all of that freedom that you might have once had. Unity. We'll walk through a few of these relatively quickly. Uh, there's also diversity in the church. If you look in verse 7, you'll see here it says, uh, well, before verse 7, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. Paul wants us to be one, right? Seven times. And then he says in verse 7, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, and then it walks through the next few verses here. When he ascended on high, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order that we fill the whole universe. The imagery in this section here is referring to a king that went away to war, won a battle, took captives and plunder, or in the old King James, I'm thinking of like in chapter one of Nahum, it calls it booty. You know, it's like pirate booty where you take all the gold, you put it in a sack. And so the imagery here is that the army went away to war and fought the battle for the hometown, for the home city, for the home country. And then because they won, they take their king, they ascend him on high. He comes back trailing behind him the captives that have been taken and are now to be integrated into the new society with um, with the victorious nation. And then from on high, then the king dispenses gifts to the people who, mind you, did not fight the battle but now receive the benefits. And in the same way, we did not earn our salvation. Jesus is the victorious king who fought a battle that we could not fight and then comes back to us. He descends from heaven and, and that's the ascended. He descended to the lower earthly regions and then ascended higher than all the heavens. That whole imagery is to say he's on high and he's dispensing gifts now to his people through his Holy Spirit. And so the gifts here are now listed in verse 11 and 12. So, Christ himself gave these different people to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, the NIV calls it pastors, but uh, let's use the term shepherds, and teachers. So it's A-P-E-S-T, right? A-P-E-S-T. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why? Look at verse 12. To equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So think of yourself. Think of your own relationship with the church. God dispensed these gifts, and one of the things that he dispensed is you. You are a gift to the church. Like, look at verse 11. Christ himself gave different people to the church so that we could be equipped for works of service, meaning we're not just for each other. We're serving the world. We're a, we're a, a church that exists for the non-members so that the body of Christ may be built up. So it's like we're building up, we're maturing, we're growing, and we're living out the faithful call that God has made on our life. That's a long way to say you are a gift to the church. Your proclivities, your concerns, your giftednesses are a gift to our church. And there's kind of different leanings and different roles. And I don't, I'm not saying there should be titles associated here. Like you should start calling yourself an apostle of the Lord or something like that. But like, 
if we look into these words, we'll see different ways that God has gifted the church with different types of people. So let's talk about apostles. Apostles uh, are not just the core people who follow Jesus. Uh, the New Testament refers to different people as apostles, and it might make more sense if we can translate that word into Latin, uh, which made its way into English. Um, the word apostle is the word missio in Latin. Apostles are people who go out with God's word. They're missionaries, local missionaries, city missionaries, vocational missionaries, or overseas missionaries. Apostle, apostle type people are the kind of people who are risk taking, who are going out, they're taking the gospel and they're going out and meeting people where they're at. That's what a apostle is like. An apostle will say, I'll go wherever God sends me for, for each day of my life. A prophet is someone who speaks the truth of God, specifically the commands of God into the life of the church so that they will be lived out and obeyed. Uh, I have my laptop here and not my Bible, but like prophets are the people in the Bible study who'll just kind of like lift up their Bible and be like, yo, 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 it just says do this. And we have not yet made plans to do the thing that God told us to do. When are we going to stinking do this? Like prophets are saying like, Hey, it just says it here. Why don't we try doing it? Why don't we obey God instead of just talking about it? Uh, enough with all your feelings. <laughs> enough with all of your plans. Like, let's just do the thing that God tells us to do because it's clearly stated in scripture. That's a prophet. Maybe that's like a not very sensitive prophet, but uh, that's what a prophet is. Action is the result of a prophet saying, hey, church, I love you. I'm going to call us to do something more active to live it out. Evangelists are not just people who stand up in places and preach. Evangelists are the kind of people who include all kinds of people into the life of the church. And so if we were drawing a diagram, it would just be like a little, little church in the center. And the evangelists are always like including and pushing people, inviting them, including them back in to make sure that the church is hospitable to all kinds of people and that everyone is out there being included into the life of the church. Not just speaking up, but welcoming in. And then shepherds care for the heart. Shepherds, um, you know, this word doesn't pop up that often in the Bible, but shepherds are people who pastor. They're people who care. They are elders. They are um, people who give with an encouraging word, kind advice, who care about the heart of the people of the church. Um, I'm curious, even when I say that, if you can think in your own mind about what leaning you have with apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Like, can you think of your own inclination there? Or let's talk about shepherds. Like, can you think of someone in the life of our church, or even in your own life, that's a Christian, who shepherds you, who cares about your heart, who, when you go out to lunch, always has some time where they ask, like, hey, how are you doing? And you feel the openness to share uh, about how your life's going. Teachers, they take the truth of God's word, and they clearly define it, and make it, make it knowable and clear so that we can know God accurately. And then kind of like take the encouragement of the prophets and go do it. So a teacher searches the word, studies the word, simplifies it, clarifies it, puts it into our cultural context and language, and allows us to know God accurately and know his commands. That's what a teacher is. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Here's the point. You're a gift to the church. Keep using your proclivities, your strengths, your shape within the life of our church. If I've learned anything from Stranger Things and all kinds of other like TV shows and movies, 
It's that there is something powerful about a group of people who are diverse with different skill sets, different, I'm thinking of movies and TV shows, different weapons, different uh, different backgrounds, different magic, whatever it is, the TV show or movie that you're thinking of. Like they all center around this idea that different people from different backgrounds coming together for a common cause and then supporting each other is a beautiful thing. I'll have a few of them. Stranger Things, right? Bunch of different types of kids work together to save the world. Princess Bride. You've got like what I think is like a Polish person or a Northern European. You've got a, a Hispanic person. You've got a white guy who's motivated by true love. They all come together to save the day, right? Lord of the Rings. You've got an old guy with the cane. Uh, you've got a short guy with an axe. You've got a, a very nimble guy with a bow. You've got a woman who destroys a guy because uh, he, a bad guy underestimates her. You've got these elves. You've got ugly people, beautiful people all coming together for a, one, uh, a common cause. It's something beautiful. The church is the same way. The church is the exact same way. Like think about the last time you went to church. Old guy with the cane. Beautiful person, not so beautiful person. Oh, everyone's got their different calling and different strengths and backgrounds working, working together for a common good. I'm not done. Ninja Turtles, Powerpuff Girls, Captain Planet, Power Rangers, Paw Patrol, Cars, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Everything that you watch on TV has some component of different people coming together for a common cause to save the world and to bring good into the world. The church is the same way. We have diversity with our ethnicity and our culture. We have diversity of male and female. We have diversity of thought to an extent. To what extent that happens within the big tent that is Ambassador Church, we can talk about on another day. But we have diversity in our church to the extent that we live out the calling that we've received. Let me close with this. The whole goal is maturity in the church. Warning. All of these roles, apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, if you don't have maturity with those, they'll be destructive. They'll be painful. Like how weird is it to have someone who's not a mature Christian but knows the Bible? Like not a godly person but can teach you about uh, God's word? It's weird. It's dysfunctional. How damaging is it to have someone who's gifted with shepherding but not a mature person? They would be uh, emotionally needy, codependent, manipulative. God gives us the inclination. The goal is maturity. If you look in verse 13, it says, We do this until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And in verse 14, Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Uh, in the end, you know that babies are immature. When they don't get what they want, they are uh, blown here and there. They're undiscerning. They're unwise. They're, they're not mature. And you know that, right? If you've been around infants. Uh, my son is about 11 months old. He'll put his mouth on anything. And so it's my job to protect him from putting his hands in his mouth on anything that's like a bottle with a skull and crossbones on it or something sharp. It's like half my life right now. And uh, some of us are spiritual infants where we don't have the discernment of knowing when something is true or false or knowing um, to what extent we're being pushed around by all of the outrage that we see on social media. You don't have a barometer or, or like a, 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 a foundation to your faith. You don't have something that like keeps you steady, not tossed here and there. 
And so you're constantly moving around with your opinions or with the truths that come into your life because you don't have the, the word in you in a mature way enough to be able to reject falsehoods and kind of protect this like Christian worldview that you have in your life. So babies are immature. They're blown all around. They're undiscerning. And in the same way, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, we need to mature in this. We need this diversity to give us different advice, different perspectives, different um, ways that God works in different people's lives, everyone using their gifts so that we can be mature in our faith. Verse 2, to me, seems like the most relevant part of this passage, especially in a time where some of us are in our living room, some of us are at Anaheim in that campus, some of us are in Brea. The goal here, the result of this maturity, still will cause us to live out verse 2, to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep using our proclivities and our strengths and the way God shaped us to bear each other's burdens and to bear with one another in love. Motivated by the fact that Jesus bore the cross, bore our issues, bore our sin on himself. And now we, because we're saved through what he's done for us, we bear with one another in a time where we're still split up, still a little divided and still trying to figure out what our involvement with the church will be. Jesus was a wonderful apostle. He was a wonderful prophet. He was the the Evangelion himself, the Bible says, and so he was an evangelist. He's the best shepherd. He's the, the, the most famous teacher who's ever lived. Jesus lived out all of those things, and we can look to him for all of our, our life in the church, the way that we live within this church body. Let's pray.